So second book of Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 11 to 15. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is the word of the Lord. So do keep that open, uh, page 1161, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and starting at uh, verse 11, page 1161. And let me lead us in prayer. I'm just realising, Lord, we've already actually asked you, Michael, uh, prayed earlier that uh, as we look at your word, you would feed us, and that's just, we just want to bring that prayer to the front of our minds, that we would know you, and know, your, know you better, and know what it is to follow you as we look at the Bible together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, during World War I, a, a man lies shot and dying in um, the trenches. Uh, a friend was next to him. And just said, well, is there anything I can do for you? No, I'm dying, said the man. Is there anyone I can contact for you, a letter I could send? Actually, yes, there is. Could you send a message to such and such a man? Um, uh, What you taught me as a child is helping me to die. Uh, The man was the dying soldier's uh, former Sunday school teacher, and the message was to encourage that uh, Sunday school teacher that in the face of death, in the trenches, the truths about Jesus, about his death in our place, were helping this soldier to face the reality of passing through death himself. Apparently that's a true story. I don't know any of the details, so otherwise I would have provided them. But it's a great illustration of the power of the gospel, that that man, as he faced death, said, hang on a minute, the gospel, that it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it, so I can go through death unafraid, because Jesus has got it, Jesus has got me. It's also a great illustration of the job of an ambassador, passing on the message to another person. That's what that Sunday school teacher faithfully did, that's what we pray that our Sunday club leaders would do week by week is that pass on the truth about Jesus so that other people can know his power in their lives. And that's what we want to do. Uh, those of us on the computer is great, but most of us aren't. Uh, but we want to do that in our families, with our colleagues, on the bus with people. We want to help them to know about Jesus. And that can be pretty unglamorous. I mean, I don't think there are many special effects when, uh, when well, we don't see what happens through in the hall, do we? But I don't imagine it's sort of that kind of glitzy a way to spend your Sunday morning for the folk who volunteer to teach our children. 
It's not that glamorous. It's pretty undramatic if you're sitting there talking to someone on the bus. But as we are ambassadors, we pass on the news of what Jesus has done. People have the opportunity to come to God, to come to Jesus, to be saved forever. And one day we will see the effect that the gospel has had in world history with that vast multitude of people uh, dressed in white before uh, the throne of God. And what that means is uh, that actually passing on the gospel is the chief way we care for people. We try as a church to be caring. We try as individuals to be caring. We will listen to people. We'll try and help people. We'll try and share our lives with people. Of course, we want to do all those things. But actually, the principal way that we as a church, as opposed to just generally people being nice in society, we as a church principally want to say the most loving thing we can do is to help someone else discover the grace of God. We want to understand that ourselves. But above all, we want other people to understand it too with us because that's the way to salvation, the way back to God. So we're thinking uh, in the whole series through this uh, this, this two months, May and June, about being ambassadors. We're um, picking up where we left off last week, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, We read verses 1 to 10 last week. And um, if you're looking for an example of someone who kept going when the going was tough, then uh, Paul, the writer of 2 Corinthians, is uh, a brilliant example to look to. He's your man. He was flogged, beaten, shipwrecked, mocked, misunderstood, misrepresented constantly, and yet he kept going. He went through far more than any of us will ever have to go through, we hope. And how did he do it? Well, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he explains, uh, he makes it his goal to please the Lord, to please Jesus. That's what he kept his focus on all the time. When he went through those horrific experiences, his focus mentally, psychologically was, I'm living to please Jesus. And there were kind of twin engines to that, which we're going to focus on, two dimensions to to having that uh, drive in his life. Uh, He explains the first one is in verse 11, it's the fear of Christ, and the second is in verse 14, the love of Christ. What kept Paul going? What, why didn't he lose heart? Well, the first thing, verse 11, is the fear of Christ. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade people. How's that sound to you? Maybe some of us are thinking, well, hang on, hang on a minute. What, I've got a, 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 a fear of God? I thought God loves us. We've just been singing about it. <laughs> I, I thought... I thought that Jesus saves us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, go back with me, would you, to verse 9. This bit about making it his goal to please Jesus. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul has been teaching, we looked at it last week, how wonderfully Jesus salva- the salvation Jesus brings means that we have a certain future to look forward to, a, a permanent home with God. We can one day leave behind the tent of this body, which is great whilst it lasts, but go to be a permanently at home with God. Salvation is not in question here. But still, for all of us, Christians as well, there's going to be a judgment. We're going to stand before the throne of God, face to face with Jesus, one at a time, 
And he will make an assessment of our lives. As it says in verse 10, he'll, he'll, um, he'll, uh, we'll receive what's due to us, whether things, uh, for things done in the body, whether good or bad. And so Paul's motivation in spreading the message about Jesus is knowing that one day he's going to have that one-to-one with Jesus before the mighty, powerful throne of God. Jesus there, sitting on the throne, looking him in the eye and saying, Paul, how, how did you use your time? Paul, were you faithful to me in your message that you uh, started preaching? Paul, were you single-minded or did you get easily distracted by other things? All of us, you, I, all of us, we're going to stand before God. We're going to stand before Jesus, actually, one day. And he will ask us questions like that. He'll look us in the eye. What have you done since I saved you? How, how, how's, how's it been? Have you, have you been able to be my ambassador? Have you, have you used your time well? How did you represent me in your community, in your family, in your workplace? And on that day, the last thing you and I want to be doing is mumbling excuses. Well, oh Jesus, you see, the thing is that there was just so, you know, there was so much to do. There's so much TV to keep up with, and there was a, there was this, and there was and there was a holiday to plan. And I, I don't want to be mumbling those excuses. Do you? When we meet Jesus face to face, there's a, a great book that I read a, a while ago, uh, designed for teenagers, but I loved it. Called "The Shock of Your Life." Um, there's a couple of um, it's, that's why it's bright yellow. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of copies. I'm very happy to um, uh, give or lend uh, those to you. It, the author uh, he, he's got a great imagination. He imagines this day of standing before the throne of Jesus. And he has a really positive picture of Jesus judging Christians and, and looking for things in our lives to reward. This is a great picture. And Jesus saying, oh, great, nice to meet you, Steve, face to face at last. What can I reward in your life? Well, that's a great picture of, of judgment, isn't it? And he, he pictures um, a young girl coming before the, um, the, the throne of Jesus. He'd, he'd been through a lot, which is why she's meeting Jesus as just a girl. She's suffered a lot. But she's been faithful through it all. And she, she presents um, the book of her life to Jesus. And uh, lays it down. And, and, and he touches it with, the, with his scepter. And burns it up. And when the book's gone, there in the middle is a beautiful crown. Which she leans down, lifts up and puts on her head. As she goes into heaven. To be with him forever. And then along comes a famous preacher. And there's sort of murmuring along the, among the crowd watching. Thinking, well gosh, it's going to be a massive pile of treasure, isn't it? When his book's burnt up. And he lays down his book before Jesus. And Jesus reaches down and touches it with his scepter and it burns up. And the preacher gets down on his hands and knees and he's scrabbling around. And there's nothing. Because, as Jesus explains to him, when he preached, he was doing it all for his own fame, for his own glory. All his motivation was selfishness. He didn't have his focus on Jesus and trying to please him at all. Now, um, 
obviously I find that story that uh, it's a great example and it's uh, very sobering considering the job I do. Uh, but isn't, we're all going to be there. We're all going to go through that day. And Paul's first motivation is that sort of fear, holy awe of God, of Jesus, of not wanting to be ashamed when he meets Jesus face to face. And we need that too. I need that. You need that. We need to realise, gosh, our life matters. Every moment of our life matters. It's all, we're all accountable for it all before Jesus on that day. And we need that in a sceptical world. Because, you see, if we don't fear Jesus, if we don't fear God in that way, we will end up fearing other people. We will fear what they think, what they say about us. Uh, because in a sceptical world, if we start talking about Jesus, people will push back against that. Some people will be really interested and want to know more. But many people will, oh, come on. And so we need, if we're not going to fear their reaction, not fear their opinion, we need to have that holy awe and fear of God that we might then serve him faithfully and no matter what people say. And we need that because the gospel itself is quite challenging. It's wonderful news of God's love, as we've been seeing. But it does say some uncomfortable things to us, doesn't it? It says to us, confident people, well, actually, you're not good enough for God. You need saving. It says to proud people, well, actually, you've got to submit to God. You've got to humble yourself before him. It says to people who want to be tolerant of everything, there is just Jesus. He's the saviour for us all. He is for us all, but, but, but he's it. There's not like ten different ones. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. Most of us avoid confrontation. Some people are confrontational people, but most of us avoid it. But... If I'm going to be a gospeler, if you're going to be a gospeler, someone who is ambassador for Jesus, who represents him, I need to have this perspective, don't I? We do. That actually, even though some of the gospel truth is going to be a great challenge to members of my family, it's going to be difficult for them to hear, difficult for me to say, actually they need to hear it. Uh, and I do it out of holy all, all for God. I want to be a good ambassador. You want to be a good ambassador. We want to fear Christ, otherwise we will fear other people and never open our mouths. The second big motivator is the love of Christ. That's engine one, the fear of Christ, but that goes completely with the love of Christ. We honour him and adore him, we love him because we realise how great he is. Uh, verse 14, Paul says, the love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all dies. It's a strong word, isn't it? It just doesn't say the love of Christ inspires us. Well, that's, that's quite good. It compels us. It grips hold of us and thrusts us forwards. We've just kind of got to do this being an ambassador and representing Jesus. That's how Paul felt. Because he realised just how loved he was by God and how much love God has for everybody else as well and how much they need to know him like Paul did. And so for us too, when we say God loves us, um, we mean quite a lot by that, don't we? I think, I think most people, if you say to them, God loves you, I mean, for some people that's revolutionary news because they, they don't have much self-worth and they think, well, nobody loves me. Well, actually, for someone like that, the news God loves them, that's, that's, that's definitely where to start because, wow, yeah, it's true. God really does love people no matter how damaged we feel. For a lot of people, if you say God loves you, you think, yeah, of course he does. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty nice. I'm pretty good. Everyone loves me. Yeah, big deal. 
We don't mean something sort of sentimental, do we? When we say God loves you, God loves the world, God loves people. He's not sort of like a sort of grandparent in a rocking chair going, oh, you know, there, 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 well done the human race, oh, aren't you sweet? He's not like that. His love is so potent and powerful and profound that he looks at the human race, he sees all of our sin and wickedness and evil, all the wrong we do, all the headlines, all the horrendous stuff in the world, and says, actually a lot of that provokes my anger. Some of it provokes his compassion, but a lot of it, I mean, it's just when, we, when we're, we're doing evil and we're doing wrong against each other, it's, he's rightfully angry. And yet he says, all of that, and I still love you. I love you, human race, when you're utterly disgusting and repellent to me. I love you. And he doesn't just say it. In Jesus, he rolls up his sleeves, comes into the mess, and takes all of it on himself. That he takes all the rubbish in my life and in your life and in the world, all the sin, all the evil, all the wickedness, he takes it and he represents humanity at its worst before the Father and receives as he dies on the cross God's punishment, the anger, the wrath that is justifiably directed against the sin and the evil in the world, in our lives. That's how much God loves us. As verse 14 says, that one died for all. That one in our place. That's why there's only one way to God. It's because only one person has done that. Only one person could do that. God himself coming. God the Son coming. To take it in our place. That's why the message of the cross is both that we're more wicked than we ever imagined. And that we're more loved than we ever dreamed. It's that both and. And that's what Paul is so gripped by. And can I ask you whether you've begun to understand that. As I preach this, I'm preaching it to my own soul, to remind my soul that this is true of me too. That actually, as I see Jesus Christ dying on a cross for me, as you do for you in your kind of imagination, could anyone love you any more than he has loved you, than he does love you? Well, how should I respond? How should we respond? If we understand Christ's love, it will grip us and thrust us into action. That's what Paul's talking about, being compelled by love. Because it's not just his love for me and for you in a sort of private, private way. We know that. Okay, great, lovely. He loves my family and my friends and this neighborhood and the per- person who sits next on the bus. He loves them all too. And um, even if members, even if colleagues are anti-Christian at the moment, well, Paul, who wrote this, is, was the biggest anti-Christian of his generation, in his group anyway. He went around locking up Christians to try and stop them believing in Jesus. And yet God turned his life around and overwhelmed him by love. And so I want to share that. We want to share that when we grasp it, when we're grasped by love. We want to share that with others, that Christ has died for them, even though they don't know it yet. And if we've grasped uh, something of the love of Christ, that will get us over the hurdle of maybe people misunderstanding, maybe people opposing us, because actually it will well up within us. Uh, and so let's pray for that ourselves. Let's pray that Christ would continue to reveal his love by his spirit and then give us the, the words to, to share as appropriate with people we love, because God loves them even more.
So those are the twin engines that keep Paul going. They're the, the two things that motivate him, that keep him motivated so he doesn't lose heart. And they will for us too as we follow his example. It's the fear of Christ on the one hand, that holy awe and reverence of Jesus. And it's the love of Christ, how much he loves us, being gripped by that and being energized by that and being filled by that, that we want to share it and overflow from us to others in our lives.